Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fake TV Critic, a podcast where I discuss the week's biggest TV news headlines, recap and analyze some of my favorite shows, and let you know what you should be watching. Oh boy, guys. So <laughs> I recorded a really great episode this week. Um, we had a first time guest who I have loved for many years. I love his podcasts. He has many of them. Um, I've been on his podcast in the past and he was returning the favor. And we talked about all of Bravo, all the Real Housewives. We talked about Jodie Sweetin and Hallmark Christmas movies and horror films. And it was wonderful. We talked for well over an hour and I had a great time. I heard from him afterward. He had a great time. And uh, then I went to upload the episode. <laughs> and I know this happens to every podcaster. Like if you listen to any podcast that's not like scripted or you're know, like produced by a team, like if you anything where like people are making their own shit, right? Um, inevitably, you record an episode where you get an audio glitch or a corrupted file or a microphone malfunction. And guys, all three of those things happen to this episode. <laughs> I felt like absolute shit. It was such a fun episode. Like I said, it was very lengthy. It was Joe from Small Town Failing, Bloody Good Horror, and Friends of the Real Housewives. And um, yeah, I went to upload it and it was only my audio, <laughs> which then a few seconds in cut out and then cut back in. Um, there was no Joe on it whatsoever, even though the test that I did worked. And, <laughs> and then halfway through, there was nothing at all. Um, so, I, I'm going to do a little quick episode. <laughs> I'm going to do a quick episode, probably much shorter than usual. I'm not going to talk about all the shit that I talked about with Joe. I, I think I'm going to do like the Beverly Hills reunion, since that already aired and everyone should have watched it by now. And also my Real Housewives episodes tend to have a lot more listenership. I don't know if that's because you guys are interested in it or if people randomly find it. I have no idea, but I'm going to talk about Beverly Hills, even though it's been off the air for a couple weeks, because I do have thoughts. Um, I'll do my countdown to Christmas recommendation, and I'll do I'll do a little bit of a quick um, new segment to start with. But this is going to be shorter because I spent enough time this week on this fucking podcast that did not end up working. Shake my fist at you, podcasting gods. Okay, so. The news that affects me and you all, since you are listening to my countdown to Christmas recommendations the most, is that as of this past Wednesday, the Hallmark Channel is now on Peacock. And I know I am a shill for Peacock. I don't care. I don't care. They should be paying me at this point, but whatever. Um, number one, I tweet out Peacock all the time because I watch everything on it. Peacock has everything on Bravo the day after it airs. In some cases... Um, before it airs, like they have Below Deck Med episodes a week before they air on Bravo. So today, actually, if you're listening to this on release day, is the finale of Below Deck Mediterranean on Peacock, but the finale on Bravo is not until next week. They also have some Bravo exclusives, like the Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip, like Below Deck Down Under, both of which eventually aired on Bravo. Same thing with Real Housewives of Miami, which is coming back December 8th, I think it was. So they get some Bravo-type exclusive things. They also have some really decent originals, which I have talked about in the past. They have some original movies. They get some movies like from theaters quickly. They are where you can stream the Jurassic Park movies. They had Halloween Ends and Halloween Kills when that was out, same day as theaters. 
And like right now, um, in my queue to watch whenever I have time this week is the BJ Novak movie Vengeance, which is still playing in some theaters. So it's it's really worth the subscription. They also do like exclusive um, sports streaming if you're into soccer. They have a lot of that. They do they have exclusive baseball games during the season. They're they're really trying to like get people to actually watch it. So if you got Peacock like for the Olympics, it's really worth it to go back and. It's they're right now. I believe they're still running a special where it's a buck ninety nine a month. So go do that. That's less than twenty five dollars a year. Um, when Halloween Ends came out, they were doing twenty bucks for a year. It's really worth it um, because even though you'll still have some commercials, it's much fewer commercials, and then you have access to all of the originals. But all of that is a long way of saying that Peacock did another great thing this week, and they now have Hallmark Channel streaming live on Peacock, and then also they have an on-demand library that will not change, and all of the original Countdown to Christmas movies are streaming on demand for 72 hours after their air date. So what that means is you can now, right now, you can put on Peacock and watch the Hallmark Channel, Hallmark Movies and Mysteries, and Hallmark Drama live. Like, as if it's cable TV. Um, You can then also, like, if a movie airs on Friday night, it will then be on Peacock for Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Also, movies from past years are just always there. And I will tell you that Window Wonderland, which is one of my all-time, like, probably top five Hallmark Christmas movies ever, is streaming right now. It's Shyler Lee from Grey's Anatomy and Supergirl and Paul Campbell, who is still making movies. He's in Three Wise Men and a Baby this year. He also wrote that movie. Uh, that's on there. There's a whole slew of classic Hallmark Christmas movies for you to watch as well. And I'm going to get to my recommendation because if, you, if you're doing the math in your head, you're like, wait a minute, if it airs on Friday and then it's only there Saturday, Sunday, Monday, your podcast doesn't come out until the following Monday with the previous week's recommendations. You are correct. Um, so what you can do is you can find when the movies are playing and then you can watch them live or... My recommendation this week is going to be part of the library in just a little while, and I'll get to that. So that's number one. That is the first big news of the week. Uh, This is one of the smartest things that Peacock has done, I think. Peacock is struggling to get viewers as every uh, streaming service is, and it's going to take them a while to get to a Netflix, a Hulu, a Disney Plus type level, even an Amazon Prime, which like most people have because they pay for for a year of Prime and don't realize that comes with video. (laughs) Um, so it's going to take them a long time to get to that place, but I think they're doing a lot of really smart things to get there. And Halloween ends going day and date, um, same in theaters and on Peacock, I think is a great move. I think getting the exclusive on Jurassic Park Dominion was a great move, and then having the extended cut was even smarter. And now we have Hallmark at the best time of year to launch it, right at the start of Countdown to Christmas. Because even though Countdown to Christmas started back before Halloween, two weeks or a week before Halloween, um, most people are just now getting into Christmas or at least like letting themselves start to get into Christmas. So it launched this past Wednesday in the first week of November. I think that's wonderful. It is right there, right now. Do it to it. Also, if you are Xfinity, Comcast, Cox, a bunch of other places, you might get Peacock Premium for free. I do. So... Keep an eye out for that as well. The other news story that happened this past weekend that I'm, uh, I probably shouldn't talk about because I have nothing good to say about him, um, was that Aaron Carter died at the age of 34, and he was definitely a singer before he was um, an actor or a TV personality. But 
I think a lot of people do know him from things like Lizzie McGuire and Dancing with the Stars. And I think he was on like The Surreal Life, maybe. He's done some other reality things. And back when he was a kid, he was always on MTV and, you know, hanging out, doing the MTV Beach House and all that shit. So he did definitely have a TV presence. Uh, He had a reality show with his family. I want to say it was called Life with the Carters. I'm not entirely sure. Where it was like him and his sister and his brother, Nick, who was in the Backstreet Boys. Um, And Aaron Carter, for all intents and purposes, was a very troubled soul. You probably saw him in the news every once in a while getting into some legal trouble um, or like fighting with Nick, his brother, very publicly. Uh, He he definitely had demons. He had mental health issues, which he recognized. He was on the doctors quite often talking about it, seeking help. He had addiction issues, which he also was on and off seeking help for or saying that he was seeking help for. Um, and that is, it's important to talk about those things and to recognize those things, because I don't think that we give, especially men space to talk about things like mental health. There is a huge stigma, um, amongst men that mental health is either not important or mental health issues are not something that men go through because we associate mental health with sadness or you know we hear like too many men don't know the difference between depression as a clinical diagnosis and a mental health diagnosis and depression as a colloquial uh synonym for sad and as i'm sure we all know we do not allow men to feel their feelings um it is a tenet of masculinity that you are not allowed to be vulnerable. You are not allowed to be emotional. You are not allowed to be weak. You cannot show that weakness by showing emotion, by crying. You know, boys don't cry. Um, hold it in. Grow a pair. All of these things are phrases that revolve around the idea of men not being allowed to show weakness, vulnerability, or emotion. Uh, so I think it's important that we recognize that Aaron Carter did suffer from mental health issues and at least publicly, you know, Again, I don't know if this, I don't, I'm not in his head, but he seen his publicity team made sure that it looked like he was getting help. Um, in the past few weeks, it came out maybe in September that he was going back to rehab because he was trying to get custody of his son, who is about a year old. Um, and he had a temporary restraining order against him from earlier this year from his uh, girlfriend, Melanie Martin, who alleged at one point that he beat her and broke three of her ribs and even did and showed an x-ray that showed one of them at least was fractured. She later retracted it, whether that is out of fear or um, despondency or whatever is anyone's guess. Or if she did make up the story to begin with, I highly doubt that's the case. It almost never is with victims, but it is a possibility. Regardless, he had a lot of troubles and he was outwardly seeking help very recently, but then he did an interview um, with a podcast that I forget, No Jumper, I think it's called. I watched some of it on YouTube. And he seemed to be drinking lean, also known as Scissor or Purple Drank, um, which he didn't consider drugs. He also didn't consider marijuana and prescription drugs drugs. So potentially not sober, but also saying he was in NA. So I don't know his life. What I do know is what's reported. And he was a very complicated person. And the reason I want to mention this, because again, I I have no skin in this game. I don't, I'm not speaking ill of the dead simply because I can, because I want to change people's opinion or I'm trying to expose Aaron Carter or whatever. But um, 
I want to recognize a couple of things. One is that people are complicated. And I think that when someone passes away, whether they be a celebrity or someone in our own lives, we tend to either canonize them and treat them as if they were always saints, even when they were not. And, or we tend to turn their deaths into a punchline. And I see both of those things happening with Aaron Carter. Um, I see a lot of people who are around my age, maybe a little younger, a little older, uh, talking about how he was such a big part of their childhood and Aaron's party and I want candy and the J14 magazine pop-out posters and all that. And just remembering and talking about that, but that dishonors the fact that he hurt a lot of people and a lot of people were directly negatively affected by him. He stole from artwork and copyrighted, copywritten um, material from other artists. He recently lost two lawsuits, one for a visual artist whose art he stole um, and then threatened to rape in a personal email. Um, and then another, he stole another artist's music and he also lost that lawsuit very recently as well. Uh, there were reports a few years ago of him sexting and sending graphic nude photos to underage fans, uh, even knowing they were underage. Again, the story of him abusing his partner, Melanie. There are also videos and accusations of him abusing and potentially leading to the deaths of his animals. Um, I think one of his dogs is was missing or something, and there, the suspicion was that he may have killed the dog, whether purposefully or not, I don't know. Uh, he, he also, there was a time where he came out of the closet as bisexual, and then my cynical ass thinks he did it because he wanted like pride gigs and money. And then once he couldn't, he eventually walked it back and was like, oh no, that's not what I meant. I am not bisexual. I've never been with men. I'm not attracted to men, but I'm open to the idea or some shit like that. And he also like regularly threatened to rape men. Like, <laughs> like that was his go-to response when he would get into like these very public, very frequent Twitter and the social media feuds with people is that he would threaten to rape them. He threatened to rape Perez Hilton. He threatened to rape this uh, this artist that he eventually lost a lawsuit to. to like, it's just, he was not great. And some of that is because of the struggles he was going through. And he had a very unstable upbringing. He lost his sister, twin sister maybe? I forget. A few years ago, um, he had a very strained public relationship with his brother, Nick Carter. His dad, for all intents and purposes, did not seem to be a great father. Like, he had a lot going against him. And that is very sad. But so I don't... But so I, I don't like that we're seeing him canonized in this, like, he was a saint. Everything he did was good because not everything he did was good. But also, like, no one deserves to immediately be a punchline. Like, as soon as he died, I'm seeing all these memes of... Like, people tagging Shaq on Twitter and, you know, like, mentioning the How I Beat Shaq music video from, like, 20-something years ago. Or people posting the Lizzie McGuire thing and memeing it. Um, like, that we tend to immediately... Like, I, I don't know if it's because the internet is a hellscape and we're trying to make light of everything because the internet's so nihilistic. But... It's really disturbing to me this new trend of making fun, basically, of people once, like, immediately following their deaths. It's like one extreme or another, right? Um, Queen Elizabeth died and people were either fawning over themselves, beside themselves with grief, or immediately spitting on her grave. Um, 
when Leslie Jordan died last week, two weeks ago, by the time you listen to this, uh, immediately on Twitter and Instagram, there were all these posts and memes about how Trixie Mattel killed Leslie Jordan because in an episode of Uh, she mentioned she said that he died. And tagging Trixie and making light of the situation. Like, that was, I'm not even joking, within minutes of his death being publicly announced. Minutes was using him to, like, try to get attention from another celebrity. And reducing, in Leslie Jordan's case, someone who did a fuck ton of good for people, going like, for decades. And reducing him to one moment of one episode of an internet series by a drag queen who also was friends with Leslie Jordan. Leslie was on Trixie's TV show. Um, they, you know, Trixie made this very clear afterward that they were friends, that he was there for her whenever she needed him and uh, like to help promote things, to show up to events. Uh, and then to kind of turn that into like clout chasing is really gross too. So kind of just, you know, it's it's news that Aaron Carter passed away. It may be news to you that he was not a great person. Um, but uh, the main takeaway here in terms of like, you know, talking about it as quote unquote news is like, I don't know, be aware of what's happening. And like, if you find something amusing that's related to someone's death, like think twice before you share it or whatever I don't know I don't know what the point of me going on that soapbox was but I have feelings I do have feelings about Aaron Carter also because like years ago when he came out as bisexual I tweeted about and then he took it back I tweeted about how uh, I said something like remember when Aaron Carter came out of the closet couldn't monetize it so he took it back and like I didn't tag him he was no like but he must have been searching his own name on Twitter because he responded and called me a little bitch which, like, again, is not, is, it, as a gay man on the internet with a Twitter presence that is very explicitly queer at the time, like, it was from my pen name, which I used to write gay romance. So, like, the image is two men kissing and, like, I had rainbow flags. Like, to, like, you. I'm sorry that I had a feeling about the way that you approached this whole coming out process. It felt very disingenuous. Um, and then he deleted it. Or his account got deleted, one or the other, because it's not there anymore. I don't know. Um, but my tweet is. So I also just don't like him. And I know, again, I know it's because he had issues and I, I, I'm, I, I'm not. Why am I still talking about this? Aaron Carter passed away at the age of 34. Okay, so renewal and cancellation. Guys, I have a headache as I'm recording this. It is raining. I already did an hour and a half of this podcast this week. I'm tired. I apologize. I might go back and delete this episode later. Who knows? Anyway, renewal and cancellations. Netflix renewed uh, Neil Gaiman's The Sandman for season two. And Stars renewed Dangerous Liaisons for season two before it even premiered with season one. And cancellations, some big ones this week. CW continues cleaning house, canceled Stargirl after three seasons. Um, Stars canceled Becoming Elizabeth, which I didn't know existed. Netflix uh, canceled Fate the Winks saga. Didn't know that existed until this cancellation either, which Netflix has a hobby, hobby, a habit of doing, uh, is canceling shows. And then everyone like coming out of the woodwork and be like, this is my favorite show. And I'm sitting back being like, what the literal fuck is this show? And then the big one is that HBO abruptly canceled Westworld after four seasons, even though the cast was contracted for season five. But they're still going to pay the cast 
for a season they're not making, which that's a wild decision. And I really would love to go a little deeper into that or for someone to just talk to figure out what the fuck happened there. Like, I know the ratings weren't great, and I feel like maybe this most recent season wasn't as well-received as prior seasons, but not for nothing. Like, it got a bunch of Emmy nominations before, and it was one of their, I feel like, or at least maybe they marketed it as one of their prestige shows. So to just, like, let it go, maybe they need that money for House of the Dragon season two. I don't know. But that got canceled as well. Okay. Let's talk about the real Housewives of Beverly Hills. This is this season was painful. This season was painful to sit through. It was 150 episodes long. It was on the air for 10 years. Everything and nothing happened. It, the, no one was likable. It was ju- that's not true. People were likable, but not the people that I think they thought were likable. It was just it was so it was a wild season and it ended with this reunion that needed to be at least another part because we got one episode of actual confrontation. There was so much that needed to be addressed that wasn't. And part of the reason I think they didn't address it is that so much of what went on this season was very heavy. Like there are, there have been some dark seasons of housewives. You know, you had the OC with Brooks who was dating Vicky faking cancer. That's dark. Um, We've had divorces. We have had death. You know, Beverly Hills season two, the very first episode had to immediately deal with the suicide of Russell Armstrong. That's dark. Um, We had like on Jersey, how many seasons did we have of Teresa and Joe fighting her brother and Melissa over their family and like it being torn apart and like lizard literally physically fighting like that was dark. There have been some dark. There's been some dark shit that has happened on the Real Housewives, but the darkness of Lisa Rinna, I think this season was kind of too much. And I don't know if it's because the way that I personally view and treat housewives has changed over the years that like, I don't know, I don't particularly need to see heavy drama on these shows anymore. I am very content with my Bravo shows being very light drama, very uh, like dramedy, (laughs) like comedy dramas. I'm good with that. I don't watch The Real Housewives because I need Shakespeare. Actually, that's a lie. Shakespeare is not highfalutin. Shakespeare is very other people. I need it to be more like Shakespeare, where it's like potty humor and silliness and kind of light drama. Um, I don't need it to be Richard III. You know, I don't need to be King Lear. I don't need that kind of heaviness. I need it to be Taming of the Shrew, Twelfth Night. You know what I'm, you know what I mean? Um, and the shit that they're dealing with is real life, but they're not treating it like it's real life. So let me give you an example. There was so much happening this season and offline since the se- while the season was airing that was kind of addressed, and it had to do with Garcelle and the um, the inherent racism the the coded racism the i don't what's the word i'm looking for like the covert racism the microaggressions the things that like these women are doing and saying that maybe because they are white they do not think of as racist but that very much feels racist to garcelle and to other viewers of color and even to viewers who are not of color like myself um and it's things like Erica telling uh, 
what's I think his name is Jax, Garcelle's 14-year-old son, to fuck off when she was drunk. That was not okay. And she would never do that to anyone else's child. Uh, but she did it to Garcelle's and then apologized and admitted how terrible it was, but never really felt sincere, mostly because she's Erica. And I don't know if she even knows what it is to be sincere or how to come across as sincere. So it felt very uh, racist in a way, I'll just say it, um, or aggressive that when it was brought up again, that everyone kind of brushed it off. And then to rewatch through the season to see Kyle and Mauricio laughing about it with Jerry and PK felt gross. Like, it's not the same thing as like talking shit about your friends for something they said behind your back. It's like they were making fun basically of Garcelle for getting upset about it. Or they were laughing at like, oh my God, how drunk was Erica that she told a child to fuck off? Isn't that funny? No, it's not. It's not funny. And can you imagine the wrath that would have rained down if anyone had told Lisa Rinna's daughter to fuck off? Or if anyone had told Kyle's daughter to fuck off, the waterworks immediately would have been turned on, right? So there's that. Then there's also Diana, such a fucking flop this season. If I never, ever have to hear her name, see her face ever again, I can die happily. She was the worst addition to a Housewives series in many, many years. Not only was she useless, she was a horrible person and she was a piece of shit and I hated her. And she didn't show up to the reunion, so she got like 20 minutes of screen time via Zoom and she spent the whole time basically coming after Garcelle for literally nothing, which again, feels very racist. There is no reason for her to not like Garcelle. And then to come and say that like, well, Garcelle said that I was someone, or was it somebody else? Someone said that I was evil. And you're like, well, you called, or Sutton, to Sutton say that I was evil. And then you're like, well, you called, and Sutton be like, well, you called me a cunt. Sorry for language, but that's what it was. You called me a cunt. And everyone would be like, well, evil's worse, being called evil's worse than being called a cunt. And like, are you fucking kidding me with this? Like, no, no, that is no, not true. I don't know a single woman who would say, oh yeah, I would much rather be called a cunt than evil. And if that is the line we're drawing, why then are we, like, if we're policing that word from Sutton, why are we not, like, it? where's that, then why can't, if we're allowing Diana to use whatever language she wants, and we're using allowing Rinna to use whatever language she wants, like she called Kathy Hilton a black heart, um, the devil, um, a psycho, like that's heavier than evil and cunt, right? Then why are we policing Crystal over her use of the word violated? Why, why are we policing Sutton over her use of the word evil? Because if we're doing that, then you need to police um, Rinna over her use of the word abused. Like when she said that Kathy Hilton abused her or that we need to be or calling her a black heart or the devil. We need to start policing that language. Okay. And they're not doing that. So it's very hypocritical. It's very, it was very, I don't know. And then like when the allegations came up, when Kathy Hilton joined the couch on the third part of the reunion, that she called the DJ at this bar in Aspen a fag. One, I don't believe that. I just don't. Two, because I don't believe it, it means that someone on this cast planted it, which means that they were going specifically to target the queer audience to be against Kathy. Um, and I don't like that either. And then now knowing that Erica, 
was the only person who heard it, it means that Erica is the one who must have planted this story prior to the season coming out that like a bunch of blogs and social media accounts ran with. Now, I do not believe, I believe that Kathy had a meltdown. I, I believe that she had a temper tantrum. I believe that she was very upset. I believe she got drunk. What I don't believe is that it was because, is that she went on, the, is that she was stomping on her glasses. I do not believe that Lisa Rinna ever feared anything. I do not believe that she was any more out of line than anyone else has ever been on camera on this show. And I do not believe that she called the DJ a fag. I just don't believe it. Um, but I... The darkness of that, of accusing someone of that language when there's no proof of it, is too much for me as a gay person. Um, it it means that people on that couch, in that cast, were trying to weaponize a word that has traditionally been used to hurt and condemn and uh, keep people like me and many others down and at bay and to uh to demonize us and to vilify us they were then using that word as a means to to weaponize against someone else for their own gain do you know what i mean that like if this did not happen then it was someone me like how can we bring down kathy and then putting that word in anyone's mouth um is worse i think for me than actually than someone actually using it in a lot of ways and I, I just, I don't believe anything that Rinna says. I just don't. Like, I, Lisa Rinna is a soap actress, and she's a reality TV star, and she's been doing this for a long time, and she knows how this works. And she knows that if cameras are not allowed inside that bar, she has a cell phone in her goddamn pocket or purse that she can whip out and start recording. They all do. They all could have. In that car ride on the back back home, when they had this conversation, when allegedly all of the, when this, as Lisa Rinna calls a a psychotic break, which bitch you are not a doctor, you don't get to say that. Um, when that's happening, take your phone out. Why is there no camera then? That's a car. That's not the bar that you're not allowed to film in. Do you know what I'm like? This is why I don't believe anything happened is because they are all too smart to not get that shit on camera or on audio or something when they are trying actively to take someone down or when they are having such an issue with someone that if that's happening and you can use it against them, why would you not? So I don't believe it happened. I just don't. Um, and that's, that's, that's where I stand. So I don't trust anything that Lisa, I, and that combined with Lisa Rinna's past behaviors over many decades of like comparing star Jones from the view who is a black woman to a gorilla. Yeah, that happened. Dressing up in Nazi paraphernalia at one point, like I think as the Sex Pistols or some shit with her husband. Um, she's just, she's not a good person. She's And she uses, she's used a lot of racialized language in the past. And I just, I don't like her. And she's way beyond the love to hate, which she was for a long time, I think, on the show. She's not anymore. Now I think she's just hard to watch and she takes away from the enjoyment I have from the show. And I, I, I really hope she's not back next year because her... And even just beyond that, like the the darkness of watching someone spiral after the death of a loved one is also not fun. And like she blamed a lot of her behavior this year or this season on the death of her mom, who I thought was wonderful on the show. And I get that. I understand grieving. And 
I, I understand that some bad behavior may have come from that grieving process, but this show was filmed over many, many months. And even now, it's been over a year since Lois's death. Um, you can't blame that anymore. You just can't. And seeing that spiral of grief, of shame, of hate, of anger is also not fun to watch. It's, I don't know, like usually in the past when really heavy things have happened to cast members, they've taken a step back. But now that our relationship with reality TV has changed so much and it's become so integrated with our everyday lives, people don't do that anymore. They lean into the craziness. And like a lot of this has been happening in my personal life too, with like people that I know who are TikTok famous or Instagram famous who can't decipher between reality and their online personas and their online following. Like they can't, they don't understand that what they post online is not just being seen by these anonymous people and these anonymous accounts. It's also being seen by people who know you and your friends and your family. And what you do and say affects them too. And we know the truth. So when you are using things for clout or for attention or a story, as you do on shows like this, it comes across as very disingenuous. And it, it's, it's really hard to watch. Um, and it's uncomfortable to watch. So I, I don't know. And also when it comes came to this reunion, like they barely touched on the racism that Garcelle faced. Um, they barely touched on Kathy Hilton on anything other than this breakdown in, um, in Aspen. They did not touch on anything that happened early in the season. And it just, it came across as so, I don't know what the right word is, but like to see Dorit and Kyle and Rinna and Erica, like not understanding the microaggressions and the latent racism of a lot of their actions and their words against Garcelle, not understanding a lot of how policing Garcelle's words and feelings and Crystal's feelings and words can come across as racist when you're not doing the same for Rinna and Dorit. That why can Rinna say she was abused by someone when there's no proof of it? Uh, but Crystal can't say she felt violated when someone walked into her room naked. Um, it's a correct usage of the word. It, but, I mean, obviously, I think I talked about this on the podcast last year. Colloquially, we don't use violate that way. It, it's like when someone says I feel violated, we it's never because of a violation of privacy. It's usually because of like a physical violation. And that's not what Crystal meant. She meant a violation of privacy. But why can't? Why can't she say that if that's how she feels, but it's okay for Rinna to say that she thinks Kathy Hilton has a black heart and that she was abused. Like, she was not abused. She was never touched. She was never emotionally manipulated. Like, maybe at best she got yelled at. Lisa Rinna yells at everyone all the time. Can we start calling her an abuser? It's just, it comes across as very, um, as very racially divisive, and I don't like it. And it also doesn't help that, like, Rinna was terrible all season. Dorit brought nothing to the table. Kyle has overstayed her welcome and produces herself too much. That, like, the only likable people this season were Kathy, Garcelle, and Sutton. And Crystal, to a lesser extent. She, I feel like she was more likable than she was last season, but also had some really weird shit with that, like, there was, like, calling what Sutton said dark and then never saying what it was and then lying and saying that it was something that it wasn't. Bizarre. Anyway. The season of Beverly Hills Housewives was not fun to watch. And as you can hear from the tone of my voice that I'm barely making jokes, it's also like not fun to really talk about either. Um, but it's done. Our long national nightmare has come to an end. 
and I hope they take a break. I hope they don't start filming right away, which is what they did with this season. And I hope we can like, I need a full year off. Like, I don't need Beverly Hills to come back next summer. I, I need it to do what Atlanta did and what OC has done and, like, take a full year off. And we don't need it right now because we have Salt Lake City, which is top-tier comedy sitcom-ish gold. We have Potomac, which always delivers the drama, but... um, always del- What am I trying to say? Always delivers the drama, but still manages to be entertaining. And goes to dark places, but really I feel like more explores them than just walks away. And maybe it's because it's an all-black cast. I don't know. Um, and we have Miami coming back next month, which I feel like is an old-school throwback kind of Housewives, where it's like the opulence and the obliviousness of having that kind of money, of like early Beverly Hills. Like some light-fighting drama of like, um, like a Jersey or an... OC but it doesn't go to this like like the main drama last year the main fight was like some people thought that Larsa Pippen was a whore for having an OnlyFans that was the big drama (laughs) I love it I love that kind of shit you know so we don't need Beverly Hills to come back we have OC on deck we have New Jersey on deck um we have Atlanta hopefully filming soon uh we don't we don't we don't we don't we don't need it Okay. All right. Let me get into now that I've just like, I'm talking about people dying and racism and like, I get, sorry. I promised the episode that got lost was a lot more fun. (laughs) Anyway, my countdown to Christmas recommendation for week two, there were two really good movies this week. And you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to talk about both of them. My main recommendation is A Cozy Christmas Inn, which originally aired the Friday before Halloween and stars Jodie Sweetin. And I love Jodie Sweetin. She is the the best of the Full House children. Um, I just, I, I she's so sweet and charming and I love all of her Hallmark Christmas movies. And I, love, I was on Joe's podcast, Small Town Failing, talking about her movie Entertaining Christmas in July. Not that the movie is Entertaining Christmas. He was doing Christmas in July. And that was when she went viral for um, going to that um, pro-choice rally and getting thrown to the ground, like thrown to the ground by cops. And she's a real one. I love her, you know? And meanwhile, like Candace Cameron Bure is off like protesting vaccines and talking about how her new channel with Bill Abbott is about traditional families, quote unquote. Meanwhile, like most families in the U S are no longer this idea of like two kids, a parent or two kids, a dad and mom. That's just unrealistic. About half of the homes in America are single parent homes, not to mention parents that are of the same sex or that don't have kids. It's she's an asshole. Anyway, um, the movie that Jodie Sweetin was in, why I loved this so much. One is that it was just, it was a throwback hallmark, Christmas movie, big town, big city, Seattle, um, lawyer, I think something like that, um, goes to small town in Alaska to buy an inn. That's the plot. And, but what makes it great is that one, it's a sequel to a Candace Cameron Bure movie where she literally replaces Candace Cameron Bure's character. So it's, it's a sequel to Christmas Under Wraps, which originally aired in 2014. And to this day is Hallmark's best performing, um, with live viewers, um, Christmas movie of all time. And it was Candace Cameron Bure and David O'Donnell, I think his name is, who 
he lives in the small town in Alaska. Candace Cameron Bure was a doctor named Lauren who goes to the small town, answers a job description, doesn't like realize how isolated and remote it is and kind of old school. And, you know, like they don't even have artificial sweeteners for coffee or cream or whatever. Um, and everyone's like very old school and, you know, they have like silly problems and you know as a doctor that she's also expected to like take care of like reindeer and shit like and then there's this whole other thing where her boyfriend uh what is his name i should have looked this up but the guy the actor is david o'donnell what is andy andy is the character's name where andy's dad who's played by bill murray's brother uh maybe santa and so in the sequel andy is still in town he's now running an inn and Jody Sweeten's character, Erica, uh, knows him because Andy went to school in Seattle and they were together and then he wanted to move back home and she was like, I can't do that. So she has to go buy this in from him and they like rekindle their romance. Uh, but we also find out that Lauren, Candace Cameron Bray's character, just left town. She was, and the line is something like, she couldn't commit to Garland, which is the name of the town. And like, that's very realistic. But I think a lot of people were pissed off because the ending of Christmas Under Wraps, as all Hallmark movies do, imply like a happy ending. And this means they didn't get a happy ending, which again, is realistic. So we ha literally have uh, Jodie Sweetin's character replacing Candace Cameron's character in this man's life and in this town, which is wonderful. But also why I loved it is that it is a meta commentary in a lot of ways on the new Hallmark. Where it's, so we had this movie that is very popular, very old school, um, again, starred their queen of, one of their queens of Christmas in Candace Cameron Bure. And that whole movie is about how people are stuck in their ways and small towns are kind of backwards and never change and they have their own way of doing things. This movie revisits all those same people as they are actively changing. Um, you have uh, the Santa character who has upgraded his facilities. You have the diner owner who now uh, it says, like, we have all kinds of sugars. We, ha we have the blue and the pink ones. So she has changed her views from, like, only having sugar. And she's updating her menu, which I, um, I think they commented in the first movie, never changes. And you have Andy, who is admitting that he loves this town, but, like, he can't be there when people aren't willing to change and to move ahead with the times and things like that. And that, I think, is a great commentary on what Hallmark is accomplishing here. They are literally replacing the old guard of Hallmark, like Candace Cameron Bure, with a new guard. And, like, who better than someone who was on the same show and is as beloved as Candace Cameron Bure, like Jodie Sweetin, to do it. And this is how they're doing things. Everyone can change and we are going to change because we're not going to leave people behind and we are committing to Garland. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like the whole reason she left is because she couldn't commit to that and like Hallmark stuck with it and we are committing to this. So I really like that message as well. And it's just, it's such a cute movie. Jodie Sweetin's so good in it. Um, there, it, it. And it blows a lot of the, the standard tropes of Hallmark out of the water, you know, like it starts with these people broke up and are finding their way back to each other. It mentions the relationship that failed with Candace Cameron Bray's character. Um, they kiss halfway through the movie and then kind of like have to backtrack. But like they have history, but they act like they have history. So many times we get these movies on Hallmark where it's like, oh, we're reconnecting with someone from our past. But it's as if they've never met. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, oh, it's someone from elementary school. 
like Kismet Christmas from Weekend One was very much like that, where it's like, oh, I was in love with you, but I haven't seen you in 20 years, so you're basically relearning who this person is. They act like they have history. Like they fall back into a relationship very easily because they're staying under the same roof and remembering how wonderful things were. Like The whole reason they broke up is because of distance, and now distance for this week that she's there isn't a problem. And like trying to figure out what's going to happen. And like in the end, she does quit her job, <laughs> like they usually do. But... Um, so it doesn't get it doesn't completely fly in the face of Hallmark tropes, um, but it, it's 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 slowly changing, and evolving and moving with the times. You know, a li- they're a little behind, but they're getting there, and I really like that. And it's just it's a really cute movie, and we get a commitment to whether Andy's dad is Santa or not. So that's that's fun too. And the other really good one that aired this weekend was Ghosts of Christmas Always, which is this season's Christmas Carol retelling. And it's not a recommendation only because there were way too many, like, contrivances and plot holes for me personally. Not that, like, a Christmas Carol is flawless without holes, because, I mean, the whole point is that they're ghosts and they can do what they want. But, like, there are never any rules established in this updating, but the acting is top-notch and like the emotion is so good and it all it deals in almost none of the hallmark christmas tropes it is it feels like a real movie until the end when they're like oh this is hallmark we need to have a romance and they just like fly in the face of everything and change all the rules and just like say like oh fuck everything we did they need to end up together and that annoyed me which is again why it's not my recommendation but it is very good and i love it I loved it. Mostly because Ian Harding, who was Ezra Fitz on Pretty Little Liars, um, makes a very welcome debut into the Hallmark Hunks universe. He is very good in this movie. And so is Kim uh, Matula, I, I, I think is her name, who I, I've never seen before, but looks like she could, belongs in the past and in the present, which works very well for her character. And then it also brings in Reginald Bell Johnson from Family Matters and Lori, uh, Lori Chin. Lori Taichin, is that her name? Um, from Orange is the New Black and a whole bunch of other stuff. And they're great. There's a great supporting cast. Beth Level, Tony-winning actress, um, who I love. I've seen on stage a bunch of times. She was in The Drowsy Chaperone and Elf the Musical and Baby It's You and what the, a whole bunch of shit. Um, she's there and she's singing a really fun original Christmas song that I hope they put online to stream somewhere. And it's written by Zach Hug who is a gay man and who writes some of the better dialogue for Hallmark Christmas movies. And like I said, even though the story kind of lost me by the end and I like was disappointed in the the direction it took, has the best dialogue of any movie this season, the least contrived dialogue of any movie this season. It's just, it's, it's a really, it felt like a real Christmas movie, not like a Hallmark Christmas movie, if that makes sense. Like it didn't feel tropey, it didn't feel saccharine, or I mean it was saccharine, but it was like saccharine in the Christmas Carol way, not in the like romance novel way. And it just, it felt kind of like a real movie. And that's rare for Hallmark Christmas movies because they're thrown together by committee with like, you know, okay, we have a girl, we have a guy, you know, spin the wheel for her profession, spin the wheel for where she's going to meet him. Is she going on vacation? Is she going back home? Is she, what's her job? Is she a lawyer? Is she an engineer? And you just like kind of put the puzzle pieces together until you like have a Franken movie. Um, This didn't do that. They like started with the, okay, how can we update Christmas Carol and make it different and just kind of went from there. And it worked really well. And um, yeah, that's so if, if try to catch that one too. So, A Cozy Christmas Inn, 
uh, starring Jodie Sweetin, is coming to Peacock on November 19th. So even though I mentioned that movies for this Canada Christmas are usually only available for the three days after they premiere, this one is coming to the library on November 19th. So you can catch it on demand from Peacock whenever you want then, or along with Ghosts of Christmas Always, you can just check whenever it's airing. If you have a DVR, set your DVR. Um, the Hallmark Movie app lets you know when things are coming up next. You just search for the movie, click on it, and then it tells you next on. And it'll tell you exactly what date and time it's gonna air so you can set your DVR or make plans or whatever. And I'm hoping that now with this Peacock deal and knowing that Cozy Christmas Inn is coming on November 19th, that we start to hear that some of these other movies are gonna be joining the library on a more permanent basis because I think they're, a lot of them this year have been really fun. Um, there's only been a couple that I that I don't like, although I like really, really disliked the ones that I didn't like. Anyway, <laughs> so those are recommendations for the week, Cozy Christmas Inn and Ghosts of Christmas always okay thank you all for tuning oh let's do the uh read the premieres and the finales i forgot about this okay today monday judy justice returns to freebie for season two and holiday baking championship is back on food network the angel choir are singing in heaven i love this show so much can't wait Wednesday, the very controversial fifth season of The Crown debuts on Netflix. On Thursday, HBO Max has a new cooking show that is hosted and produced by Dan Levy from Schitt's Creek, and that's called The Big Brunch. Peacock is releasing a new series called The Calling, which is from uh, What's-His-Face, who did Big Little Lies. I will... David E. Kelly, who did Big Little Lies and uh, Big Sky on ABC. And Warrior Nun Season 2 is coming to Netflix. On Friday, Amazon is releasing the James Gordon series, which is what he's been promoting with all of this uh, Balthazar bullshit called Mammals. Uh, Down to Earth with Zac Efron Season 2 comes to Netflix. And Paramount Plus has a new animated Transformer series called Earth Spark. And then on Sunday, this fucking Sylvester Stallone show that we've been hearing about for months and months and months finally debuts on Paramount Plus called Tulsa King. And the new season of Yellowstone premieres on the Paramount Network, not Paramount Plus. For finales, The Handmaid's Tale, Love is Blind, Friend of the Family on Peacock, um, Inside Amy Schumer, an interview with the vampire, all have season finales, uh, and also the very last episodes ever series finales of The Good Fight on Paramount Plus, that's the Good Wife spinoff, and Atlanta on FX and Hulu. And potentially Inside Amy Schumer might be the last episode of that ever either. Also. <laughs> Okay, now for real, I'm signing off. Thank you for tuning in this episode of Fake TV Critic. I'll be back next week with more news, more recaps, more reviews, and more analyses. Have a good week, everyone.